We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz, presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Fahey. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. How are we doing, Jack? Man, the Nets are always hot news, Nicholas. It's the off-season, but, you know, luckily we're doing a podcast for you guys. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of worried going to, like, August that we'd run out of content and have to get creative, but it seems like there's quotes, uh, news, rumors already flowing around about the Nets for 2019, and we didn't even end 2018 yet. But uh, to start this week off, we got a mailbag. Just a quick reminder, though, if you want to check us out, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, and YouTube. Feel free to subscribe, retweet, share, let us know what you think at OTG Basketball on Twitter. But, Jack... Let's get this mailbag started. And honestly, really excited to do this. Really happy we actually had people to send us questions and kind of ask us stuff about the Nets. We really appreciate you taking the time to send in the questions. Yes, sir. To start us off, we got FC Chun3114. You know, interact with him a lot on Twitter. His question is, at this point in time, who is the face of the franchise, D'Lo or Jared Allen, and who has more upside? Yeah, I'm going to tackle this one, uh, Nick. I did a lot of research for what I was telling you. Um, I want to give our listeners and the the people who took the time to, to contact us um, a, a heap of time myself. So two sides to this one um, for F Chun 31-14. The face of the franchise is ultimately D'Lo. Um, his markability is unparalleled. 2.4 million followers on Instagram, a plethora of fan pages, over 405,000 uh, follow, 405, followers on Twitter. Um, Alan has a you know, respectable 10.4K on Twitter and 37,000 um, on Twitter, but Alan doesn't have that sort of cachet uh, and marketability that dealer does. So that ultimately is the face of the franchise. You know, Jared Allen could have a better season next year and Delo can still do some nice things, but I still think Delo, in terms of being the face of the franchise, however you want to coin it, it's him. Um, I know Jared Allen's new shirt, which I tweeted out in the fact <laughs> that um, I think that, that gives him a little bit. And the Bleacher Report article that we mentioned on the last piece uh, that's come out quite recently as well is giving him a little bit of a, a boost as well. But in terms of face the franchise, it's D'Lo. Uh, and that could change, you know, on next year's free agency. But in terms of upside, I'm actually going to go um, with Jared Allen here. 
Um, Spencer Dinwiddie mentioned in that piece for Bleacher Report that he thinks Jared Allen could be the best center in the league. Uh, I think that he has that potential as well. That's like his high, his ultimate upside. Obviously, the center position is so stacked now with guys like Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid. But Jared Allen has a very unique skill set and he's already exceeded expectations. D'Lo, I think his ceiling, while still quite big and like you know top five, top ten point guard, um, I, I think it's slightly lower than for a guy like a Jared Allen. Um, in that sense, I think both of these guys together can reach it. And I think in terms of marketability-wise, I think that they can feed off each other in ways. Like similar to what's sort of happening in Philly right now, you're Joel Embiid, the sort of loud, bombastic sort of guy on Twitter and, and social media and everything. Whereas Ben Simmons is a bit more low-key, got that sort of like, you know, introverted personality a bit more, similar to Jared Allen. Uh, and I think that having a marketable duo, if both of them can pop next year, which we believe and we hope, then I think that that's going to work wonders for the franchise as well. Yeah, no, you're pretty spot on, especially about the face of the franchise. I think you just look at D'Lo, not only from the marketability standpoint, but there's also was a ton of draft type with D'Angelo Russell. When he was in college, he already has that fan base built up. It's kind of easy to sell. And if you ask a general NBA fan, you know, who, who's on the Nets? Who's their best player? They're going to say D'Angelo Russell. That's the guy that everybody knows. So, and Jared Allen, obviously he had a great season, but people didn't even really recognize him and give him many votes for the all-rookie teams. So, in terms of uh, overall upside, though, I think I would say this. Jared Allen has more positional upside where he could end up being, you know, a top five center, top three center, where D'Angelo yeah. Russell has the upside that he's going to be more impactful on the court just because of the position he plays. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a, I don't want to compare him to James Harden, but there's a James Harden level that he can kind of possibly get to maybe not MVP level, but the impact he'll have on the game will be so big where I see Jared Allen as a guy who could be one of the best, best centers in the league where I don't know if D'Angelo will ever be top three uh, point guard in the league or number one, where I could see that more likely for uh, Jared Allen. When you kind of look at them, it's like Jared Allen's uh, upside comes a lot from his physical tools where you look at D'Angelo, it's just like pure basketball talent. Yeah, and I think you, you, I actually had in my notes, like, you know, in terms of ultimate upside Harden. Like, I think D'Lo is like a weird amalgamation. And don't quote me on this. And, you know, you can add me on Twitter at the JMN JVT. <laughs> but I had <clears throat> Harden being the lefty, <clears throat> Steve Nash and Brandon Roy as my sort of weird amalgamation of players uh, that I think that, you know, D'Lo has the potential to be or be sort of like. Um, and obviously, all three of those players are, are amazing. Uh, Brandon Roy had uh, a, a really great short period uh, in his career, and Steve Nash and James Harden, uh, two of the best ball handlers that we've seen, you know, in the past decade or so. So I, I think that they're positive things, and it's it's obviously going to be slightly hyperbolic coming from two Nets dudes. But you know, if you want to, if you want like more measured approach, go to Danny LaRue and Nate Duncan on a different podcast. Um, we're going to give you what we think and and what we believe, and obviously we're going to be a bit more positive on our dudes. But I think that D'Lo has all those tools and. You know, we're seeing um, you know the the baby steps happening right now. And I'll say this about floors: I think Jared Allen definitely has the higher floor. Where yeah. I'm pretty safe saying that he's going to at least be a start in the NBA. Where there's question about D'Angelo if he's a starter or if he's more of a six man type. Like, is he going to hit that level? Is he going to stay healthy? Where Jared Allen, I think there's a little bit more confidence about what he already is. Where D'Angelo, it's still unknown. There's a lot of untapped potential, but he does have us excited with all the workout videos. Oh, yes. On to our next question. This comes from someone on the OTG staff, Jorge Cantu, and you can find him on Twitter at CantuNBA. Under the assumption Spencer Dinwiddie comes off the bench for the first half of the season and he plays as well or better than he played last year, is there any chance that he may demand a trade to a team where he can get more minutes? Yeah, I think there's absolutely a possibility that could happen, Nick. But um, it was rumored last season with the Cavs 
But I think it's ultimately going to be how the market will dictate what it is. You know, are there going to be those same sort of suitors out there come the February trade deadline this time around? Um, a lot of teams are obviously going to be wanting to save that valuable cap space going into next year's free agency. Are they going to want to spend that on, on a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie? We still see teams without a, a point guard or a known point guard in Phoenix and Orlando, uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie obviously fit in seamlessly there. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder if, if that's going to be the case come, you know, February or even before the season. I highly doubt before the season, but, you know, there certainly is a possibility <clears throat> from last year. Minutes-wise, he was actually third uh, on our roster behind Carroll and Crabb uh, with 29 per contest. So I don't think that there's maybe, obviously, a healthy D'Angelo Russell, Shabazz Napier and Carol Silver could change that somewhat. But I think Spencer Dinwoody has a, a defined role going into this season. And I think uh, minutes-wise, I don't think that's going to dictate, you know, um, whether he wants to go or not. Um, he seems to have a, a really good attitude, you know. There was a, a quote from Sean Marks from his um, presser, and he and, and it was very positive and glowing of of Spencer's attitude uh, and, and his sort of work ethic and, and what he's put in for the franchise. And he retweeted that with an, an aw shucks and a nice little smiley face. So I think Spencer Dinwiddie right now is bought into what we're building and the culture and stuff. And I think Sean Marks is too. But obviously, you know, a few months is a long time uh, in the NBA landscape. So that could certainly happen. Um, you know, I think Spencer, as a, right now, he has like the potential to be like the best sort of six men, the best backup point guard in the league. You know, the likes of Isaiah Thomas, Terry Rozier, Dennis Schroeder. I think he can be better than all of those guys. And I think that there's always going to be a market for those guys in, in the NBA. Um, a guy like Darren Colson um, on the Pacers last year, who was awesome. You know, a person who can start, but ultimately, you know, can see responsibility uh, if needed. So I think for me, um, it's going to be about, you know, what the, the Nets wants uh, and in terms of their market needs, um, you know, freeing up cap space. Do they want to sign Spencer Dinwiddie to a long-term contract who's going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2019? That's going to be a question as well. Uh, and are there going to be teams wanting to take him on and pay him further beyond next season when he is an unrestricted free agent? So there's plenty of questions. But uh, in terms of answering your question, Jorge, it's certainly a possibility. Um, but I don't think that it's very likely at this stage. Yeah, I think there's a possibility, like you said, that he could possibly trade it. But I, I highly doubt that he would demand a trade. Like you mentioned, he kind of he bought into the Nets. You know, Spencer definitely wants to be a starter, but he's shown a lot of belief and appreciation for the Nets, you know, taking a chance on him, the performance team helping him take it to the next level, the coaching staff helping him take it to the next level. So I don't see him demanding a trade, but I do think there is a possibility. And I think he would have a discussion with the Nets like, hey, guys, like D'Angelo's having a really good season. Obviously, you're going to want to play him more. You have Shabazz. Could you possibly move me and get me in a place where maybe I can shine a little bit more and have a chance to make a really big big contract this summer so i think it's a possibility but i don't see a situation where he'd be like sean marks trade me that look it, it i'm not i wouldn't be overly surprised if it does get to that because we've heard of spencer's personnel and this is no slight on him whatsoever he has the utmost confidence he's known to be you know the sort of uh, most sort of fiery outspoken character uh, of the brooklyn nets locker room and not in a negative sense in just a guy that is very intelligent, very measured, and knows what he wants and knows what he can contribute, knows his worth and all those sort of things. So I think in that sense, it could get to a point, but I don't think that it's going to get to a point where it's a detriment. I think it, it you know, demanded trade, you know, sounds really sort of negative in a sense, but he could just go, like you said, sort of go to Sean Marks. It's like, look, you know, it's the best for both, for both of us right now. And I think that the goodwill that has been brought up between both parties, uh, I think that Sean Marks, 
you know, you, you look at the Jeremy Lin situation, um, and as much as that was sort of, you know, might be a di- bit disconcerting for, for other Nets fans and other point guards, you know, it wasn't done in a way that sort of like was Masai Drew with the, with the DeMar DeRozan situation. I think the way Sean Marks has handled himself and all the deals and all the moves uh, has been one of the sort of things that's been uh, a positive of him and why people are raving about him. And I think with Spencer Dinwiddie, I think there's already, you know, an established relationship, you know, like you were mentioning with the outside of just him and the coach and stuff, but the trainers and everyone else. So demand seems like really sort of strong and negative. It's like, oh, we'll stand back. But, you know, he could ask for a trade. Let's change it to yeah. that. Um, I think, I think that's he would be more like, I would see him asking for a trade. He does, yeah. Even as like, the attitude, you know, and the personality you described, like, I don't think he, he understands the, the business and understands like he couldn't really demand a trade and it wouldn't come off the right way. So I think he, asking for a trade would make a lot more sense. Definitely. And I think he is one of the more intriguing um, free agents out of anyone uh, in the 2019 free agent class. We, we've talked about, and we've got plenty of pieces on OTGBasketball.com about the sort of big name free agents, the top 25 free agents, the top five free agents going into 2019. But Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, with what he's produced last season, you know, third and most improved player next season, if he has another big year, like Jorge mentioned, you know, he's going to get a payday um, and, and he's going to deserve it. Like, you know, whether it's uh, a la Joe Harris-like or whether it's more long-term, whether there's more money available in, in next year's market, uh, whether he takes like, you know, a, a one-year big sort of deal like a KCP or a Jean Rondo, um, he's going to be fascinating to watch throughout the season. And we'll obviously keep on top of him at the buzz for sure. Yeah, I think this name will be someone who's brought up a lot at the trade deadline, somebody who could possibly help a team on a small contract and a guy that you could maybe get long-term in the free agency if you have his bird rights. And that kind of leads to our next question. Then another Spencer question. And this is from uh, Mikey Ryan. And you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mikey underscore Ryan 11. Looks like the Nets may be a sleeper in the East for the final playoff spot. However, what would happen to Spencer Dinwiddie when the team falls out of the race? What type of assets would he net in a return? And I got to just shout this out. This He said he mentioned the Nets might be a sleeper for a final playoff spot, and he's a Knicks fan. So that, that, that one definitely caught me off guard. That balance, <laughs> that measured approach from Knicks fans is, is very welcome on the Brooklyn Buzz um, and very rare. I know, I know you've mentioned that before, Nick, but you know, uh, a great question from Mikey. Um, I think if he continues to form, he certainly warrants probably somewhere around the late first rounder, similar to what the Cavs offered uh, in February last year. Um, if he increases that form, then the package, surely it only gets better. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of teams are going to be wanting to hold on to their assets. But, um, you know, conversely as well, you know, this, um, the talk right now from guys like Dylan Jackson uh, and other sort of draft reporters is that this class this um this this 2019 draft class is a little bit weaker than the 2018 and 17 class so maybe guys are willing to sort of get rid of that spencer dinley still does have age on his side he's by no means you know um you know in his late 20s or early 30s he's got plenty of time left in his career so i think that there's going to be value for him um i think a late first rounder for me like i said is probably what the nets would be asking they're not going to give him up for nothing um but i think at the same time you know there could be you know, other packages available out there. But I think, you know, Sean Marks loves those picks. He loves accumulating those assets as he's done over the past year and a half. But for me, that's probably what uh, we would get in return, so to speak. But at the same time, it's going to have to be from like what the team itself is is wanting. Like, you know, if it's a Phoenix Suns or Orlando Magic team that'll look to be lower, um, they're not going to necessarily have those sort of assets available. So it's going to be different and difficult to sort of form a, a package. So, it's a tricky one, but you know I'm on the the bandwagon of where it's like he's at least worth a late first rounder if what he did last season. If it increases his form, then surely it's, it doesn't that package increase, Nick? 
Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I think it really depends on his play. He's in an interesting situation because he is an expiring contract, I believe. I'm not a CBA expert, but the team would get his bird right, so they could sign him to a longer deal, even if they were in a bad cap situation. And he's on a small deal, so he's not very hard to trade for. You could even see it, you know, a team trade for, you know, one of their non-guaranteed guys. Because I think in any trade, the Nets don't want a long-term contract unless it was an amazing player, which is highly unlikely to get for Spencer Dinwiddie. No offense to him or any disrespect. And like you said, I think the late first round is the most likely but it depends on the draft class a little bit too because I like you said it's a little bit weaker it's like do the Nets want a late first round pick or is they better off just keeping Spencer Dinwiddie you know I don't know if this is a route that they'll go but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities where they didn't keep D'Angelo Russell and they kept Spencer Dinwiddie and then they signed somebody like a Kyrie Irving and now yeah. they have Spencer as a backup or somebody who plays along the side as Kyrie it works out a little bit better so I think it's like Sean Marks is going to look at every deal that he's offered but I don't think, like you said, he's going to take him for just a couple second-round picks or something like that. He's going to want value, fair value, and he's going to want to get the, what's best for the team. And in the situation they're in, because let's say the Nets are competing for a playoff spot or something, and they're having a really good season. You know, Spencer hasn't played well a lot, or you know, Shabazz is playing good minutes, or Levert's really doing well as a backup point guard. They could trade him for another player that could help them compete for the playoffs in an area of need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have those not only our own first rounder, but we have the Denver uh, first rounder as well, which can be packaged to go higher uh, as yeah. well. So like, you know, whether there's a trade package there available as well, there's um, like we've talked about the flexibility that Sean Marks has created um, is going to be an asset for the team. And, you know, when he's w wanting to make deals, he's going to have these sort of assets up his sleeve and go, well, look, we can do this. You want to do this? What about this? Can we add in this extra pick, this second rounder, you know, a future second rounder? What about this future first round or something like that? Um, and I think Spencer you know, probably alongside maybe a Damari Carroll is going to be one of those guys that is going to be brought up pretty heavily towards the sort of February trade deadline. Yeah, and like you said, he could be somebody used in a bigger trade package as like a asset added in the package to help the Nets trade for a bigger player. You know, yeah. there's been talk about trading for a star player. You know, he's a pretty young guy with upside still there, and, it, and he could help you win now, and he also could develop to be better. So I think that's a real possibility. I think Spencer's going to, like you said, Jack, is going to be a name along with Damari that'll be brought up a lot this season. Yep, yep. On to our next question. This is from your boy, D-Money, Dylan Jackson. You, you can follow him on Twitter at Jackson with an X, NBA. And his question is, what's the expectations from Jana Musa and Rodion's Kurox in year one? Of course, we get a draft question from Dylan. <laughs> yeah, no surprise. I mean, no surprise. But it is a good question because um, for me, these are sort of changed, Nick. You know, um, the pressure on these two rookies has lessened with the, a lot of the moves that we've made this offseason. You know, you look at sort of last year and the year before with Jared Allen and Carlos Levert, you know, their, their expectation and the opportunity for them was a lot greater. But now that the Nets have such a, a deep rotation, 12 or 13 deep, the Janan and, and Rodions probably aren't going to see, you know, a whole heap of time. Um, I was listening to a podcast, I think it was Jared Weiss mentioning the fact that Janan has a really unique skill set. And we've talked about it as well in, in our draft profiles and our draft uh, episodes that he gives a sort of, you know, a, a completely different, um, a skill set went on the floor. You know, his, his mentality, um, his offensive uh, capabilities uh, are something that uh, none of these guys have on the roster. Even a guy like D'Angelo Russell, like his, his length, his speed, um, his, his craftiness, his shooting ability, you know, I feel like he's going to be uh, a burst sort of player. And then similar to what sort of Jared Allen was, Jared Allen was used as a burst player and then found himself, you know, cracking the rotation quite regularly before getting a starting spot. I don't think that that's as likely for Jana because of, you know, the, the sort of depth we have at sort of one to three, you know, his more favored positions. Um, but I think that he's certainly going to have an impact. 
You know, Rodion's is more likely to probably play some G League time, but we do have him on a long-term contract, four-year deal. You know, there's no sort of um, pressure on him to sort of, you know, produce now. Um, I think Rodion will probably be um, yelling in uh, Kenny and, and Sean's ear uh, for the, the New York matchup. I think he's going to probably want to verse um, <laughs> Chris his fellow teammate, his fellow countryman in, in uh, Chris Porzingis, and I'm sure he might see some time then. But yeah, he'll be used uh, probably a little bit more sparingly as well. But, you know, Sean Marks has said himself, um, it's too early for me or anybody to decide that this is the role or this is the position that they have to play. Let's see how it pans out. But they do have a skill set, length, body size, IQ, all those intangibles. So it's a wait and see approach. But at the same time, sort of what is the sort of MO of guys like Atkinson and Marks? It's like, we're not putting expectations on you. You come in and prove to us and, you know, we'll see what happens. We can work with, you know, um, and, and, and adapt on the fly. And I think, you know, um, both of these guys are going to have an impact, whether it's now or going into the future. Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on for this as well. You know, Rodion's Karaks, I think, will spend most of the time in the G League. I think if there's an injury, he might be on the roster a little bit more and see some playing time. But he didn't play a ton of basketball internationally, and that was a problem with, I believe it was Barcelona, that he wasn't getting much playing time either. So they probably want to develop him, work on his game, see where he's at and where his skill set can best be used. And then Musa. It's really tough to say. I think that he'll have a very small role to start the year with a chance to expand it later in the season. I think there's going to be some adjusting to the NBA. I've said this before, international basketball to the NBA is definitely a difference. And I think the defense question is something that'll hurt him. And like you brought up, the depth. You know, having Trevion Graham and other guys that wing possession now, it's going to be harder for him to get uh, minutes, especially with the Nets kind of pushing the envelope, which we'll talk about a little bit later, about trying to make the playoffs and competing and being competitive. They're not just going to play the young guy because he needs development. They're going to do what's best for the team at the time. And I think Jonah could benefit just from being on the, you know, on the bench and talking to these guys and getting a feel for the league in his first year. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on top of that. I think with the, the veteran presence we have in the locker room now, I think that that's going to have um, nothing but a positive impact on guys like Jan on the Rodions, you know, Jared Dudley, Kenneth Farid, Ed Davis, uh, Damari Carroll. These guys are going to have a positive impact when it comes to, you know, influencing, you know, the habits of, of these rookies and also, you know, the on-court and, and off-court sort of mentality for them. So I think that, yeah, what you sort of covered there, Nick, is, is spot on as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, injuries always happen and somebody can end up playing a bigger role. But going to next season, I'm not expecting a ton from these guys. I'm not expecting a, a Karis LaVert or a Jared Allen type season. More so Jared Allen who had a big season. Yes. Uh, on to our next question, another OTG guy, Michael Sanchez. You can follow him at um, Latino <laughs> as his Twitter handle. And his uh, question is kind of a funny one. Over and under 1.5 dunks for Jared Dudley this year. I've never seen Jared Dudley dunk. Have you ever seen Jared Dudley dunk, Nick? I maybe there's like I might have a highlight in the back of my head, but I looked it up for the last three years. He hasn't had a dunk. Yeah, I was literally trying to look up dunking stats to try and like you know be a bit more like analytical with this one. But you know, uh, Michael, I'm sorry, mate. Like literally, I doubt that he's going to get one at all. Like um, he's going to be hanging out on that perimeter more than anything. You know, maybe a couple of layups here and there. But you know, I, I think that like you know, if you're comparing you know, a sort of old guy who can dunk. Like, Richard Jefferson is that type that he can still get up a little bit. Maybe even, like, a Channing Frye because he's got a bit more height about him. But, I, I you know, working for, for Jared Dudley is the fact that he's apparently in, um, you know, really great shape, um, you know, probably the best that he's been in a while. And, you know, he's being told that he's going to be, you know, a wanted player and will get some time. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be making any dunks. Um, you know, who knows? We could get, like, you know, a pick-and-roll combination with D'Lo and Jared and he just gets up there and surprises the heck out of us. But 1.5 seems very lofty. You know, 0.5, I think, is a, 
even though I'm probably a bit lofty for him. But um, he may surprise us, Michael. Um, and we'll definitely be adding you and mentioning you on the show and, and maybe even have to get you on for a guest spot if that's the case, if he gets a dunk in one of the games. Yeah, if he gets a dunk, he has to come on the show. But I'm going True with the under. I think the only way it happens if it's one of those perfect situations where he uh, gets a steal and it's open court and no one's around or, you know, he happens to, like, fall on a play. He's getting up from the stands and Nets get a steal and they throw it down to him and literally no one's around. But I, I don't see it happening. You know, I don't doubt he has a dunk this season if he hasn't had one in the last three years. You're telling me, Nick, that Jared Dudley doesn't have the potential to do a Jared Allen posterizer? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think Laurie Markin has to worry that much. <laughs> Uh, on to our next question. This is from our, some of our YouTube guys. And we appreciate all the support on YouTube. You guys have been great with the likes, the comments. We like interacting with you guys and hearing your thoughts on the episodes. But this is from uh, Marquise Johnson. Hey, guys, quick question. Cat is not signed an extension in Minnesota. Do you think Cat and Dilo are looking to team up next summer? Uh, yes, they are. Off the court. Um, <laughs> I think that's uh, a bit clickbaity of me, well, audio clickbaity of me to say it that way. But the only way that they're going to team is for octal activities. They didn't, in 2017, funnily enough, they were playing like um, somewhat, you know, amateur professional volleyball together. Um, I don't think, you know, I was watching the jump yesterday. You know, Cat uh, can get a possible um, $158 million uh, max extension right now. But if he makes an All-NBA team following, you know, his play this season, that can increase $31 million to $189.7 million. I think Ooh. that it's a lot of money, and I don't think the Nets are yeah. going to be able to offer that. Um, I think, the obviously, the Jared Allen acquisition and, and, and the draft, you know, sort of leaves him, you know, null and void. And I think, in a weird way, despite the fact that Jared Allen may never be, you know, as good as uh, a Carl Anthony Towns, in a team setting, like we mentioned earlier when we were talking about him, he's the perfect sort of piece to have, you know. He may not like get the sort of you know um, max contract that a guy like Cat or DeAndre Aiden or Joel Embiid can get, but he can be a guy like a Clint Capella that can get that sort of mid-range money and sort of be you know the perfect sort of second, third, fourth guy that's perfect when in a winning situation. Um, I think you know the max extension is the is the main thing. They are really good friends, and you know I'll I'll share a quote with them that I found in my research, uh, and this is from Carl Anthony Towns on Russell. I wish him the best anytime he needs to talk to somebody. I've always been that brother. I'm rooting for him on constantly being that number one fan. Um, and Tam's called Russell one of the best human beings on this planet. So, so much so that Tam said that he was a guy that would let him uh, date his daughter. So there's a nice, <laughs> there's a nice relationship there. But, you know, you could say the same thing about Devin Booker um, as well, who I've been posting some things from the Instagram. They're hanging out in Mykonos right now. Uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of NBA guys have these relationships, you know. Kyrie, Jimmy, KD, those are sort of more likely guys to team up. You know, in the future, you know, there could be a possibility where they, after these sort of contracts and towards the end of their contracts where they have those sort of player options, you know, in four to five years' time, that's when there might be a more likely possibility hang, to, to team up. But for me right now, it's uh, only going to happen in the offseason and uh, off the court. Yeah, I think in both fact that the restricted for agents, Towns, no way he leaves Minnesota. That would be crazy and that would be terrible for the franchise. I think it'd be more likely if D'Angelo was traded to Minnesota. I don't think it's going to happen, but yeah. I think that would be more plausible. And like you said, maybe down the line when they're both on restricted free agents, they want to team up. I would say it's more likely we saw a Devin Booker, D'Angelo Russell team up because those two seem like they're le legitimately best friends. Like they're always hanging out, they're working out together, they just went on vacation together, but still both contract situations don't really match up. Maybe down the line we could see all three of them team up if they really yeah, want to. Imagine that super team. Like, um, no all defense, of, but a lot of, oh. <laughs> well, if Cat finally becomes like a decent defender this year, like 
he showed it at college. That's the thing. Like, I he's mean, shown he showed, flashes. He has shown flashes. It's just about consistency for him. Um, and I think Devin showed, you know, enough last year. Um, D'Angelo, I think, you know, this year, I think there's going to be a bit more of a responsibility for him on that end. And I think um, he will probably surprise us in, in spades, similar to what Alan Crabb did. But, you know, that could be a, a super team in the future to watch for because, you know, the NBA is ever-evolving and, and things change so rapidly. You know, the whole Jimmy Butler situation that's happening there, um, you know, obviously, what, what are they prioritizing the Minnesota front office? You know, Tom Thibodeau is apparently, you know, the head of that. But, you know, I don't understand how you can sort of maintain those two responsibilities. But, you know, in Brooklyn right now, I'm very happy to have Sean Marks as our front office uh, liaison. Yeah. And a great question from Marquise. Moving on to one of our other YouTube guys. Uh, I'm going to do my best to pronounce your name. Azerda Bacchus. And the question is, do you all, uh, do you all think that we will see more of D'Lo at the two this year since Kyrus's court vision and probing play seemed really good last year, especially off the pick and roll with Jared Allen and also with Dinwiddie at the point in the acquisition of Shabazz? Look, I think the points that um, as a Dean, um, if I'm saying it right, I'm very, if I'm not, I'm, I'm very sorry and I apologize. The points that he makes are very valid about Karras' court vision and the acquisitions we make. But I don't think that that takes away from the fact that D'Lo is the sort of priority for the Nets uh, going forward, as we've sort of discussed. Um, I don't think it's going to change. You know, according to basketball reference, you know, D'Angelo Russell spent 99% of his time at the point guard last season. The most he's ever spent the time at the two was 14% in his rookie season in L.A. Um, I don't think that that's really going to change much. Um, just because D'Lo plays the point doesn't mean Karras can't utilize the skills that um, Azadine mentioned at the two as well. Like, look at the backcourt tandem that's happening in Houston right now. You know, two uh, really great sort of floor generals that can probe and that can make passes. You know, it doesn't mean that they can't play together. And, they, you know, whether it's, you know, you know uh, nominally on the on the team sheet, one guy plays shooting guard, one guy plays point guard, it doesn't really make a, a whole heap of difference. Um, it does, you know, on basketball reference and all the sort of flashy stats websites, but in terms of like the positionless basketball going forward, that's, you know, all the rage and is, is sweeping the sort of league and it's, it's becoming the case with the Nets as well. I don't think, especially with our backcourt, it doesn't make a whole heap of difference. And Levert mentioned this how recently to media when he was, uh, I think, at a, a Brooklyn Nets event. Um, we've still got a young core. We, got, we added some great pieces. We've got a lot of guys who can play a lot of position, can play together. That's a good problem to have. So like he mentioned, we can play together. Um, and I think that's going to be the case for next season as well. Yeah, I think I'm not, like you said, Jack, I'm not really buying as much as the one or two. It's just guards. Like, the Nets are, they're going to yeah. run a versatile offense in the way Kenny wants things to go. It's a lot of ball movement. Yeah, D'Angelo's probably getting more touches than the other guys, but there'll be times where he's technically the off-ball guard, and you know, Karras is running a pick-and-roll with Jared Allen while he's out there. Same thing for Spencer Shabazz. There's so much talent at the guard position that they're going to see time together, but I mean, the priority is going to be D'Angelo running the show because that's, I think, what Kenny wants and what the Nets want, but at times, it's going to be the other guys, especially with all these guards, and it's only going to push them to be better, and like we mentioned before, Jack, there's always going to be injuries. Other guys are going to have to step up, so I think the most interesting thing is going to be who fits the best with D'Angelo. Is it going to be Karras? Is it going to be Dinwiddie, or is it going to be Shabazz? which I yeah. wouldn't be surprised because Shabazz, yep. I think, has done the best playing off-ball with other big-time guards like CJ and Dane. Yeah, he's like a near 39% um, from uh, from the perimeter shooting. Um, he's a really, really nice off-ball piece as well. I'll throw in a little tidbit as well. I think Karras will play some time at the three as well, yes. I think. He logged a lot of minutes at the three. Technically, I think if you look up B-ball reference and you go there, they have a lot of minutes of him at small forward. Yeah, and I think that that's not a bad thing. You know, those three guards, if you want to classify Karras LeVert, 
Tamari Carroll's mentioned on podcast and to the media before that he thinks, you know, Carroll Silver can play one to four, you know, going into the future. He has so much size about him. He has such a versatile skill set. You know, um, we saw the three guard lineups in Portland with Shabazz Napier, and all of those guys are way undersized. We have size about us with Dilo, with Spencer, with Karras. <clears throat> so I don't yeah. see any reason why we can't do that and make it better. Obviously, the talent of, of Spencer, uh, of, of Dame and CJ is, you know, uh, far and beyond of what we have right now. But in terms of the skill sets, the fit, I think that there's a, a greater possibility, a greater chance that um, we see Karras Levert playing alongside at the three possibly a bit more. Yeah, and I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Shabazz and D'Lo work good together, if Spencer and uh, Karras work well together. I mean, they're going to have a lot of time in training camp, and I'm sure in the offseason they played a lot together as well to kind of get things going. So definitely, and that wraps it up for the mailbag. And like I said, appreciate you guys sending in the questions. We love it. We love hearing your thoughts and, you know, what your concerns are about the Nets. And we'll try to do this again at, during maybe later in August or early September. But moving on to our next segment, uh, Jack kind of referenced this a couple times already. Sean Marks had a, a conference call with some Nets fans and Beats writers, and I think Ryan Rucco hosted it. Shout out to the 845. That's where I'm from. That's where he's from. But uh, let's get – we'll break down some of these quotes, Jack, and we're going to get this via Nets Daily who kind of transcribes some of these for us. So first one up, Mark says he's driven by knowing there will be nothing like winning in Brooklyn. There's going to be nothing like being able to turn this franchise around because the fans stuck with us. I mean, Nick, we are the living embodiment of the fact that we've stuck with the Nets. You know, I literally started following the Brooklyn Nets when they moved to Brooklyn. Um, I wasn't really uh, a heavy basketball follower at that stage. I was more of a, a casual fan. I loved sort of watching LeBron James and all the stars, Dwayne Wade, you know, the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, all those sort of things. But, you know, uh, upon a trip to New York, I'm not sure people, many people know the story. I know you do. Uh, I mentioned it very, very early on in our friendship that, I became a follower because, you know, my brother's like, okay, he, he was deciding between the Clippers because he liked Blake Griffin and the Chicago Bulls because he loved Derrick Rose. He chose the Bulls. I was deciding between uh, the Miami Heat because it was LeBron James and the Brooklyn Nets because I love New York and I love Jay-Z and I love black and white. Um, and I ended up going with the Brooklyn Nets, you know, for my sanity. It hasn't been the best decision, <laughs> but I am completely all in on it because it's provided me with so many opportunities. And because of what Sean Marks has said, um, the reward of turning this thing around on his part and he's obviously been such a huge part of that you know even just giving us you know credibility in the free agency market credibility in the nba media sphere um which hasn't happened credibility to us the fact that we can now put out a podcast that is going to have listeners you know and that has grown uh, with you guys you know it, it's just something that i'm really excited about and you know for sure marks to to put us on the map so to speak especially in probably one of the my favorite city in the world and one of the greatest cities in the world um, it, it's just awesome to think. And the fact that Sean Marks is committed to that vision just makes me uh, feel even better. Yeah, and the fact that Brooklyn is obviously New Jersey Nets have been around for a long time, but the fact that it's a Brooklyn Nets and they haven't been around that long, doing something special, being the first G to have real success with them and turn things around in a really fast fashion too because i've mentioned this before i didn't expect it to happen like a snap of a finger like sean mark has really made it happen you know next year they sign a couple big free agents all of a sudden they're one of the better teams in the east so he's really changed things fast and like you said just be able to see that and i'm kind of just sick of hearing about all the celtics jokes with the draft picks <laughs> and seeing Jalen brown and jason tatum and the dame lillard stuff like all that it just really is getting old so and then just the fact that we talked about this the perspective around the league is the nets suck they're not good. They're going to be bottom. Oh, they finally have their pick. They're definitely going to tank. Like, okay. So now people will actually kind of take note of us and treat us with more respect. And a lot of props goes to Sean Marks about that. Definitely. Uh, another one from Marks. 
one reason we focused on culture from the beginning is because it was something we could control. We couldn't control draft picks. We couldn't control free agency. Yeah, it's about controlling the controllables, Nick. Um, one thing that's, you know, as a franchise, I think, I'm not sure if there was sort of Steve Kerr on a podcast, but in the fact that, you know, in terms of being a new person in a franchise, you want to establish uh, a culture and then sort of a winning culture. You know, the Nets didn't have the talent there to create a winning culture. So you have to establish sort of winning habits. And I think in that sense, Sean Marks has done that with the acquisitions that he's made, um, with the coaching hires, with all the, um, the, the, the other staff that he's hired, and obviously the players as well. And I think, you know, establishing a culture starts with who you have around you. And I think having, you know, the, the breadth of knowledge from all around the world, he's from, from New Zealand, shout out to the Southern Hemisphere, um, but also with the, the players that he's acquired as well, guys that are buying into this, Ed Davis, Kenneth Fareed, Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, who's been here for a few years now. You know, guys are wanting to sort of, you know, establish something here and, and be a part of something, whether it's for the short term or the long term, for their own benefits or for the team's benefit. Uh, I think that a lot of credit there goes to Sean Marks and also to the ownership for giving him that freedom that probably Billy King didn't have back in the day, as well as, you know, the coaching staff as well. You know, it, it, Rome wasn't built in the day and, um, you know, Barclays Center certainly wasn't either. Yeah, and I think the fact that, you know, the Nets caught a little bit of shade saying, like, they're focusing so much on culture, you know, the other things don't matter at this time. And it actually looks like it could possibly pay off because some of the guys that we signed this year have mentioned what they've heard about the Nets and the family mentality and how that really impacts them signing with the team. Moving on to our next one, though, Jack. Mark said winning more this year is absolutely important for next year's free agency. You never want to have a losing culture. And if the Nets don't show a winning trajectory, it can be used against us by other teams in free agency. It's something that we've harped on. And I think uh, a lot of sort of non-Nets guys, uh, more sort of general NBA um, followers and more general NBA uh, media pundits will, will hear that and go, well, you've got your pick now, like you mentioned, Nick. What's the point of sort of you know, trying to sort of sneak into the playoffs? But I don't think that, you know, the, the fact we've got those two picks, like I mentioned, those can be packaged together and, and moved up if we wanted to. You know, I'm sure that there'll be, you know, some guys that might want that. It happened with, with Sacramento, uh, in, in, two years ago in, in that draft. So I, I think in that sense for us, the winning is the most important thing. You know, I've talked about the, on, on the buzz before, the flattening of the lottery odds. You know, if you finish eighth or ninth, it's not that much of a difference com- compared to finishing 10th or 11th. Uh, obviously, those, those bottom three spots uh, are, are the prime sort of position, so to speak. But I would much rather be knocking on the door of, of the playoffs, finishing, you know, 8th to 11th, you know, and then sort of, uh, showing a lot of promising signs and, you know, winning some good games, you know, getting some uh, great development of our young guys. All right, so this is what we did. Sean Marks can go to Kyrie to go to, you know, to Katie, can go to Kawhi. This is what we did. You come in, you make us a top four team. You make us automatically a top three team. And I think winning is the number one priority in, in that. And um, I think you'll hear a lot of sort of criticism from guys outside of uh, Brooklyn Nets sort of uh, media, whether that's from Nets Daily, whether that's from, guys like at the Brooklyn Buzz and, and OTG Basketball. Uh, but I think that that needs to be taken with a grain of salt because they're not the ones that know the franchise uh, and what is important for them going forward. And I trust wholeheartedly with what Sean Marks is doing and his priorities. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you agree, Nick? Yeah, spot on, Jack. We've been agreeing a lot on this, but we tend to do a lot, especially when it comes to the Nets. I think winning, and we've brought this up before, you know, if they want to attract a free agent, they need to show not only they're going to win more games, but improvement. You know, that the team is getting better. Guys are improving. The player development thing is real, and they're taking that next step. D'Angelo becoming an all-star, possibly. Jared Allen becoming more consistent, a rebounding force. You know, I think winning is just going to be like, all right, you know, let's say even if they're on the cusp of the playoffs and they get like up to 38, 40 wins. 
you know, they're making a big jump, a 10 game win jump. And then they say to, you know, Kawhi or Kyrie, like, yo, we bring you in here. Now we have one more guy and you're good for at least 10 wins. Now we're looking at a 50 win team and now more player development from some of the young guys. Now we're taking another level up and we're one of the top teams in the East. And there's a real chance of contending, not to mention there's plenty of upside with the guys that we still have. I think that's what you really are trying to sell is that, you know, we're improving and we have guys on our roster. Mainly the only guys locked up are going to be Karras and Jared Allen and the two rooks that we drafted this year. But Allen and Laverta, they show a lot of jump this year. It's enough to sell the guys like, all right, we can take young players and we keep adding to this, especially if they keep the draft picks too. And I think, I know I'm ranting a little bit, but getting on like the draft pick idea, like, oh, the Nets really need to tank get a top three. Like, I don't think people understand is that you can draft a top five player and he could be a bust and be terrible. Like yep. we had Anthony Bennett, we had Jalel Okafor on this team, both former high lottery picks, and they're out of the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's unproven, the, the draft sort of, it's not unproven in terms of the draft system, but it's un, they're unproven commodities. No you know, guarantee. There's no guarantee that, you know, your number one pick is going to be, you know, a, a franchise changing superstar. Not everyone can be Ben Simmons. Not everyone can be LeBron James. There's going to be busts. And, you know, it's much better to go down the route of free agency uh, and, and get the proven sort of guy, the guy who has done it year in, year out, whether it's, you know, with a, a winning franchise or whether it's just being an all-star, an all-NBA caliber player. And in that sense, I prefer that in that sense. But also being able to have that flexibility, which Marks has, you know, if, you know, we don't get enough wins and we happen to sort of, you know, have a lot of injuries and, you know, tanking seems to be, by, you know, February, March, the, the better route, then, you know, then that might be the case. You know, we give more minutes to guys like Jana Musa, Rodion Skurups, uh, Karis Levert, Jared Allen. You know, I think that that can certainly be the case as well. I think that there doesn't have to be tied down to it. And Sean Marks has mentioned, you know, plenty of times about, you know, in terms of the expectations for his players, but the adaptability I think that he has and the flexibility that he has um, with what we've got right now in terms of our players, our roster, as well as the assets with the picks and such, I think we can go down any sort of route and, and I think that we can have some success whichever one we decide to go down. But um, it's going to be you know fascinating to see the story unfold. Yeah, I think one thing that looks great for Marks is he's already done a lot of great things with no assets. Now he's going to get some assets. He's going to get some cap space with a more attractive team and he's going to have some draft picks. So we don't really know what's going to happen. That kind of leads to his next quote. Mark said, you never know what turns we might take this year, suggesting the Nets could be active during the season after December 15th at the deadline or on draft night. And like I mentioned, all these uh, all these quotes are via Nets Daily, so check them out on Twitter. Obviously the best Nets website out. Yeah, and I think that that, um, like I mentioned before with the flexibility, Nick, you know, Kawhi Leonard, um, if he's unhappy in Toronto, if Kyrie Irving, if there are rumblings about him uh, in Boston sort of showing some discontent, if somehow that sort of... Um, growing, budding roster that they all have uh, some chemistry issues, there certainly could be an issue. Um, if Kyrie's texting Jimmy and uh, Jimmy's unhappy in Minnesota as well, um, there's certainly, you know, that wiggle room to make a trade. Um, but at the same time, what I like about sort of what the Lakers did, in, in a sense, you know, they get a lot of criticism. But if you're, if you're getting in a new player, if you're trading for a new player, they're not going to want you to trade away all of your assets, all of your best players, because they want to go to, they're going to want to go to a team that is growing and has the best amount of talent available to it. So that's why free agency is probably the the more sound route because it allows us to keep our assets, be they draft picks, be they players. But at the same time, um, if the, the package is right and, you know, there's a, a commitment from the, those guys that we've mentioned, then, you know, I, I don't see Sean Marks not pulling the trigger either. 
Yeah, and I think we've kind of already built some confidence in trades with him, knowing that he's probably not going to get, you know, killed in a trade or ripped off or anything like that. He's probably going to come out on the winning side. So we trust his potential in helping the Nets kind of take that next step. And, you know, he might need to take a little bit of a risk because just there hasn't really been a huge free agent signing in Brooklyn, kind of brings some more attraction to the team. And it kind of makes it kind of even more exciting when you hear rumors or stuff because there's a real possibility that the Nets could make a move for this guy, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, where there's smoke, this fire. Yeah, exactly. So uh, then another one was, what Mark sees as the biggest improvement this year? Ability to close out games. Team is now accustomed to each other's skills. Yeah, I think that closing out games as well, uh, the, the two-minute report might help us as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. If we get some, some refs on our side. But Marks is obviously not going to mention that. He's a, he's a much more measured, uh, less sort of hot takey guy like myself. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the chemistry that we showed last year that he mentioned um, was was far and beyond than what we thought. You know, we could have easily had 35 wins. You know, had the the the, the whistle gone our way, had the the ball sort of rimmed in on a couple of different shots, had we had a bit of luck on our, our side. And you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a firm believer for you create your own luck, uh, and in, in that sense, uh, that comes with culture and and the moves that we've made. And I think having ready-made guys, uh, and I think in terms of what he meant for his for, he talked about the chemistry there. I mentioned before we have a, such a a large Brooklyn contingent in in Davis, Napier, and Crab. There's an already an Im- embedded chemistry there. Um, you know Kenneth Farid as well. I'm sure that he's got um, some connection. He's got his connections to New Jersey, and you know Jared Dudley seems like the perfect sort of mentor that can sort of just slot into the locker room, teach young guys, and provide a bit out on the court. So I think chemistry is one thing that the Nets have prided themselves on. And I think in terms of locker rooms, if we're rating them, um, they're certainly easily in the top five in terms of for non-combustibility and in terms of cohesion. Yeah, I think it's just going to help in so many different elements. And like we saw last year, closing out games was a huge problem for the Nets. Now, this is another one. Uh, we're going to try to run through a couple more. This is uh, Sean Marks on the training facility. The gym is open 24 hours for them. Marks noted added many of the players show up late after the city life is over for them. Marks singled out uh, Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, who are players who are in the gym most, adding that Ed Davis has been in since signing and Demar Carroll's been since the season was over. Does not surprise me, my friend. Uh, Especially if you saw him on Instagram. Exactly. Have you seen that place? Like, if I had access to a gym like that on a, on a basis, I'd be I'd be working nonstop as well. Um, so I, I think that those are all good things to hear. You know, we always talk of like you know um, the the whole gym thing. You know, gym rat sort of thing. Everyone's getting in the gym. Um, you know, it's it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to win an extra 10, 15 games. But you know, it's it's about creating working uh, winning sort of habits and. and it all starts in the gym. It all starts behind the scenes, and those are good things. But, yeah, man, if I had keys to that gym, I'd be I'd be living there. Yeah, no, it's definitely – I'd be like, yo, can I get a room here? Oh, yeah, sure. uh, yeah, uh, but Mark's also mentioned that D'Angelo has been working extremely hard on his health and his body this offseason, which is a wonderful thing to hear. And another guy, if you follow him on Instagram, you could see. He is um, – I, I think one of our earlier pods in, in season one in terms of like – I mentioned before that D'Lo is a very handsome man. Very handsome man. Uh, I'm a big fan of his tattoos and, and 2K. It better be on that in terms of fi- fixing that in 2K19, which I believe that they are. Um, and he's a very handsome man. He's looking a lot more cut, a lot more ripped. And I think that's going to work well for him because, you know, in terms of his body, you know, obviously there are freak injuries that happen. And a lot of them, you know, happen to uh, happen to a lot of our players. But, you know, if you put your base behind you in the offseason, you, know, you give yourself every chance to sort of play 82 games. And I think that that should be one goal um, for, for D'Angelo as well, despite the, the 50-40-90 goal for him. Um, I think being out on the court 
as much as possible. It gives him every chance to having a great season and the team having a great season as well. Yeah, and I think it goes into just kind of creating a healthier lifestyle, you know, just taking care of your body on all assets, you know, understanding now you're an adult and you're a professional athlete. There's different things that you can't do and other people can do, and you just have to accept it and understand, prioritize your health as the number one thing. And I think we've seen that a lot from D'Angelo this offseason. And I mean, Karras is uh, still hitting up Chipotle, I'm assuming. Where do you where do you think D'Lo goes for that sort of like healthy, but not... I saw him eating, uh, I want to say a Caesar salad one time and in one of his That's videos... Right. I reckon so, the net, yeah, the Nets chefs would have awesome sort of stuff there. Um, I reckon he might be a bit of a subway guy. Yeah, um, maybe. I I want to say I'm not like a honestly. This is a random fact about me. I'm not a big fan of salads. I don't know. I'm just all about like sandwiches, meat, and like yep. actual meals and stuff. And uh, but I think it's called like Chopped, which is pretty big in New York, where they yeah. just go there and get a chopped salad, and they have a lot of different combinations. That'd be like the one time where I'll actually hit up a salad. Yep, I mean, Shake Shack's right across the road. Hopefully he's not hitting that up too many times. Yeah, and not too much. You know, maybe if you drop a 40-point triple-double, we reward you with some Shake Shack. But... True that, true that. <laughs> um, another one from Sean. Uh, agents want their guys around our coaching staff, around our performance team. They see the bodies changing and abil- abilities realized. This is a really confident statement. Sorry to cut you off, Jack, but this was one I didn't necessarily expect, but it kind of you know says a lot about what Marks thinks and what maybe the rumblings are around the NBA because I don't think he'd say this without some basis for it. Yeah, it, it has to come. It has to come with some credence. You know, um, we don't normally hear a lot of sort of like words from the free from the agents themselves, but coming via Sean Marks, it has some credibility to it. And you know, we're famed for our coaching stuff. We're famed for our environment. Um, and I and I think that that's a positive thing, especially for for the younger sort of free agents like Kyrie, uh, like Jimmy. They're not, you know, in their in the mid to late thirties. Uh, Katie's sort of, you know, thirty thirty one. Um, but I think that that only is a positive thing. You know, it's just another selling point uh, for prospective free agents, whether they be you know top level, mid level, or, or even guys that you just want to pick up, like Trayvon Graham, uh, that you can sort of like lock down and sort of. Yeah, it's a selling point, and I think any extra selling point that we have. And uh, whether it be our culture, our environment, our coaching staff, or the people around us is nothing but a good thing. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I just, it's really nice to hear. And it kind of makes you believe that people are really buying to the Nets and what they're doing. And all these small things are kind of adding up to one big thing along with the culture. It's kind of setting the tone and changing the perspective of the franchise, starting the NBA, and then the media will kind of react afterwards. Yeah. Uh, this will be the last one from Marks, unless you got another one that I didn't hit on that you want to touch on. Asked about the playoffs, Marks notes his players in interviews are predicting playoffs and adds, I don't see a reason why we can't make a push. Isn't that the object- objective here? We're not sitting here saying we plan to win 20 games, so we see where, we'll, so we see where it will go. Like, what's the, exactly what he said? Like, if you're not in the, the game of basketball, if you're, not, if you're not playing sport to win it, what is the point? Um, I, I don't understand, like, you know, losing mentality like we saw sort of what happened in philly um you know there was rumblings about their culture in a sense until you know obviously they got the ridiculous amount of assets with sam hinky and they're all top assets but with what we're doing right now i think we're doing sort of like you know an indiana sort of style a milwaukee sort of style rebuild you know you don't have to bottom out to sort of get back to the top you know the golden state warriors didn't have a, a top three pick but yet they're the this budding behemoth um in the western conference and, you know, all their guys, they drafted as well. It's, you know, I think that teams can be built and franchises can be built in different ways. And, you know, aiming to win should always be the goal. Yeah, and I think with a coach like Kenny being so competitive and some of these young guys being so hungry and some of the vets wanting to get back in the playoffs scene and show themselves, I think this is the perfect response. And, it kind of, you know, in times he's kind of, 
calm down some of the playoff expectations and the playoff predictions and whatnot. But this seems like he feels a little bit more confident with this squad that they're going to win more games. Obviously, the comment about people wanting to come here and then also mentioning he thinks that they're going to close out games better this year. I think it says a lot. And I think the Nets are probably going to be more so looking to win games instead of developing players, which has been the case maybe the last two seasons where this year they might actually put that to the side, maybe a touch just to make sure they're coming out on top and maybe closing out some of these games. Yeah, for sure. So, and that, that wraps it up for that. Uh, Sean Marks obviously always has some great quotes for us. I feel like that's like the fourth or fifth time this summer we've broken down yeah. some of his his uh, press conference and conference calls. Kenneth Reed and Trevion Graham also had some things to say. We'll kind of just summarize it for them. Fareed just kind of talked about how he wanted to get back to being the player he was. The Manimal's not gone. He's looking to playing in Brooklyn. He's going to make guys work, and he knows coming in here there's no spot for him. He's going to have to earn it. So I think on the Fareed front, that's really enticing to hear that he knows that he needs to earn his position. He's not just going to be like, all right, here's some minutes, go play. Yeah, and if we see him recapture some of the form that he had in his uh, mid-days in, in Denver, you know, him and him and Jokic were a wonderful tandem. And I think that he can provide, like, like a lot of our sort of guys, a unique skill set, you know, whether it's as an energy guy off the bench. And if he plays good minutes, he will be rewarded. And, you know, and I think he's going to crack the rotation. Um, he provides us with the, uh, like, that rebounding. Like, I love guys because that can, like, get offensive rebounds because, you know, despite the fact that I'm only 6'3", you know, uh, versing street balls, I'm, I'm kind of tall here in Australia. So it's one thing that I love, guys who can rebound. And for me, it's something really fun. Um, he's a great dunker. And I think that if he can, you know, we saw a couple of three-pointers, you know, um, uh, in, in some uh, pickup games as well from him as well. If he can, and it looks smooth. Like, you know, we've seen Joe Kim Noah shooting and Tristan Thompson shooting, and it's like an uglier form than Draymond Green. Kenneth Fareed looked kind of smooth with it. So... Um, I think that he's going to be doing everything he can to sort of, you know, uh, getting Coach Kenny's ear and, and get those minutes. Yeah, and I think anytime you play close to home, like being from New Jersey, it just adds like that extra hype and that energy and then your family at the game, especially an energy-driven player like Kenneth Reed. I don't yeah. know how- – what his minutes or rotations are going to be like. So I will obviously have a better idea after preseason and training camp, but there is definitely potential there, especially just even if he comes in for a couple of minutes here and there, every quarter or whatnot, just kind of energizing everybody. It could be a big boost to the team. I think the funnest thing about training camp coming up, Nick, and there's a lot of sort of buzz coming from the nets, obviously, is that so many of our guys are fit and firing. And there's yeah. always, there's always been like, you know, one guy or two guys that have had niggling injuries. But if we go into the season as a fully fit roster, then that gives us every chance to have a, a really successful year and you know, for the guys individually and also as a team. And even if we do have an injury, unlike years in the past, we actually have guys that can fill in and that yeah. they have experience in that role. Even last year when Jeremy went down, you know, we have Spencer and we have D'Angelo Russell, but they didn't, and D'Angelo went down later on. Spencer wasn't ready for that role right away. You know, he had some nice moments, but later in the season, it kind of caught up to him. Now he's experienced taking on a bigger role. Now in the, in the forward area, in the center area, we have actual depth where last year we had guys that we literally had on the roster that we couldn't play. Like Timothy yeah. Moskov was not playable. He was hurting the team. Zeller had good moments with the team as well, but he's not an, an all-star center by any means. So, you know, it's it's nice to just have players at different positions where you can kind of plug and play. Guys having an off night, you know, give them the night off, put somebody else in. The matchup doesn't really work out. All right, now we have some different guys we can kind of throw back at them. Absolutely. Trevion Graham, uh, he also met with the press this week as well. We'll just summarize it real quick. He said it's not a coincidence he signed with Brooklyn. They give people a lot of opportunities. He mentioned how he can play, you know, up to the four position. He did a little bit with Charlotte last year. He also likes the fact that he's going to be close to his family, and he also noted how the Nets shoot a lot of threes. 
So what were your thoughts on what Graham had to say? I mean, the threes thing is the one that I like, um, Nick. You know, uh, as much as I love my rebound, I know you love your spacing. And I think Trevion can give us some of that. You know, he'd be, you know, I think he shot like over 41% or over 40% last year from three. Uh, unlimited attempts, but I think that that's going to increase this year. And if he's given the opportunity and, you know, with the amount of talent and depth that we now have, I think that's going to work wonders for him. And, you know, he automatically becomes one of our better defenders. You know, uh, a 3 and D wing who can play from, you know, two to four uh, is going to be very valuable. Um, and I think that I'm really excited to see his development. And, uh, and I'm sure some of the guys, uh, the former Charlotte guys uh, at OG Basketball will be as well. Yeah, I love, like like you said, Jack, I love spacing, so I love three-point shooting. I also love me some toughness. I love some gritty guys that are willing to kind of bang, especially undersized guys willing to play the four a little bit too. I think I, I love small ball. Like, I just love the spacing, the speed, and what it brings to the team. And if you have tough guys where you can play that, like the Rockets did last year with P.J. Tucker, you know, I don't think Trevion Graham is going to be that. But I think it's really exciting to add another piece like that, and he just kind of adds to the depth of the team. Yeah, and he's so young as well. Like, you yeah. know, and the fact that we've got him on the cheap – um, I, I was surprised that, you know, a, a team like Houston didn't offer him a little bit more because I think mm. that he would have fitted in perfectly in their system. Um, but I think it sort of says of what Trevion wants to do and it may be his sort of agent and his sort of team were like, look, I don't see myself having a, as large a role there and maybe I want to be closer to home, like you said, and I want to be part of something big here in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think the fact that there's going to be an opportunity in Brooklyn that you'll – he mentioned not getting any favoritism where, you know, maybe something happened in Charlotte where somebody's making more money than him and he didn't get to play even though he thought he was playing better. He thinks that the Nets will give him a fair shot to play if he's yeah. playing at a higher level, which I think is true. And I think at certain spots in the league, you wouldn't get that because I was also surprised that it would have made a lot of sense for the Rockets to go after him, especially a 3 and D wing, give them some more depth after losing Ariza and Abad Mute because I – like even adding Carmelo and James Ennis, they could still use some help in that area. But that's for yeah. the NBA and JBT, not for Brooklyn Buzz. Sure um, that wraps up, though, for the quotes and the press and all that. We do have some more rumors, though. It just seems like these Nets rumors keep on coming. And Mark Stein mentioned this week in his uh, on New York Times. This is a little portion. I'll read it. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's intentions are not all clear at this point. There have been no firm indication from Irving or his camp that the All-Star is eyeing an exit from Boston next summer or that he's angling to go to New York, as it is often speculated. Yeah, I think that obviously with Kyrie um, and, and in the newsletter as well, I think um, that I, I'm a subscriber to and you all should be. Mark Stein is uh, one of the best writers going around out there. You know, I, I think that Kyrie, things are going to change. These rumors are going to be you know, changing by the day, by the month. Um, but I think that, you know, New York, whether it's the Knicks, whether it's the Nets, um, th they're going to be brought up uh, pretty pretty constantly. Um, and obviously, we're going to keep on top of that and, you know, at the buzz. But I think that the fact that he is uncertain in ways and, like, he doesn't know what he wants yet, you know, the season hasn't even started. So these rumors, you know, you take... <laughs> Our rumors, yeah. Yeah, they're rumors. Um, but like I said before, I guess there's not as much smoke here you know, it's probably more the smoke of a candle rather than the smoke from a, a genuine blaze. Uh, but there is a little bit of smoke there. Yeah, and to finish off, he also had, but uh, but there are nonetheless credible rumblings in circulation that the Nets plan to pursue Irving right alongside the Knicks should he become a free agent on July 1st, 2019. In short, I expect Brooklyn to aim as high as possible in free agency while reserving the right to stay conservative. The Nets can't convince a top tower free agent to take their money. So he's mentioning, which I, I haven't heard anything like this. I haven't even seen anything like this, that there is credible rumblings. And Mark Stein is not the type of guy to post nonsense. He's not a nope. clickbaiter. He's only going to post, like, you rarely see him post rumors and stuff like this unless he knows it's true. So I was really intrigued when I saw the fact that there is credible rumblings that the Nets could pursue Kyrie. 
Yeah, and funnily enough, the the guy that you're going to mention um, next as well is in the same boat as Mark Stein. Very credible writers, and the rumors that they uh, post are generally, you know, very well informed. Yeah, they just won't post it to post it. Like, you know, there'll be plenty of guys out there that may have heard it where it might even just be an opinion and they might post it out there. These guys are always the trusted guys. So yep. the fact that the Nets are even eyeing Kyrie is very interesting. And I, I didn't know if I expected it because of the Angelo thing, but who knows what they're planning, if they think they can play together or that's farther down the line. Like you said, we're not even in 2019. We're already talking about that offseason. Yeah. Moving on to David Aldridge, the guy that you kind of hinted at. He talked about the Nets and Kawhi. Marks, and this was a fan asking about if he thought Sean Marks in the San Antonio connection could hurt or help the Nets in kind of getting Kawhi. Marks is his own man, and his staff has its own tale to tell Leonard and his representatives. The Philadelphia 76ers, for example, had a good shot in Leonard because of the part that Leonard's relationship with Sixers coach Brett Brown, a relationship that was formed while Brown was an assistant in San Antonio. Unless Marks rubbed Leonard the wrong way somehow in 2010, oh, in the 210 area code, there's absolutely no evidence I know of indicating that I think I think Leonard will give the Nets a fair hearing. So pretty much to summarize that, he thinks that the Nets will get a meeting with uh, Kawhi Leonard next year. Yeah, and I mean, to, you've got to be in with a chance. Um, if you've got a chance, then who knows what could happen? You know, Kawhi Leonard is one of the most closed books uh, going around right now. His intentions uh, uh, are so unknown that, you know, you, you're throwing um, stones at, uh, at, at, at anywhere. Like, it's just like throwing stones randomly. You don't know what's going to happen. I can't. I couldn't think of the the appropriate analogy there. But yeah, for Kawhi, uh, I think I'd prefer Kawhi than Kyrie uh, personally. Um, I, I think that you know having a, a really a high upside wing. It depends on what he shows this season. You know, everyone's sort of already talking about the LA thing as well. You know, he hasn't even come back and proved that he's healthy yet. So I think that we need to temper expectations with a lot of these rumors. But with Kawhi as well, because, you know, yes, he had a nice meeting with Nick Nurse. And yes, he's saying he's apparently starting to say all the right things. And, you know, he is, you know, an MVP contender when healthy. Um, but he needs to get back and prove that. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. You know, his season in Toronto could be uh, an unmitigated disaster or it could be uh, a revelation. And, you know, it could uh, further the, the rumblings uh, of his um, wanting to come to Brooklyn. Yeah, I think the thing with Kawhi, it's so unknown. You know, is he going to stay in Toronto? Is he a lock to the Lakers? Is he going somewhere else? Like you said, I mean, I think Kawhi would probably be maybe at the top of my list. You know, KD would be up there, but I don't know. Like, Kawhi is just really intriguing depending on what happens this season. And obviously, there's probably a little bit longer of a prime because KD is kind of getting up there. I think you add Kawhi, and he's such a great fit with his team for what he adds defensively. Not to get me wrong that I wouldn't want KD, you know, or Kyrie or Jimmy Butler, but... I think there's definitely some real intrigue with Kawhi Leonard. And then also mentioned on Nets Daily, and I want to say the Daily News, Sean Marks has a great um, relationship with Kawhi's uncle, which is obviously a big deal. And then also yeah. the Nets have some former uh, Spurs staff on their team, in, including Splitter. Yeah, and I think Kawhi is only 27. Um, you know, obviously for the Nets, we would rather have, you know, the guy with the age on his, on his side um, sort of going forward because – you know, we've made those moves before where the older guys <laughs> didn't work moves. out, huh? Didn't necessarily work out. But um, we will not mention those uh, ever again on the Book and Buzz, or we might have to. Um, but yeah, I think that all these rumors, uh, you know, it's odd to see the fact that the Nets are one of the number one teams. Normally, it's like you know the Lakers, it's the it's the Knicks, it's all these sort of teams. But the the Nets have built like we've been talking about um, for the past sort of hour or so on on the pod. We've built our credibility up to the fact that we're we're in the running with all these guys. Yeah, I want to say uh, 
I don't have the exact tweet in front of me, but Las Vegas put out odds for where Kyrie will play next year. Actually, I just found it. The Boston Celtics are at plus 105, New York Knicks at plus 250, and the Nets are at plus 305, the third, <laughs> the third closest one. So that's really intriguing. That's something that I wouldn't have predicted years ago. <laughs> and funnily enough, one of the – I can't remember which betting agency it was. There's just so many of them. Um, had one of the first uh, to report the fact that Kawhi, uh, the Raptors were the, the leading contenders to land Kawhi. That eventuated in the sense uh, of, of what we saw. So if it's anything to go by, to be the, the third most likely team in the running and just behind the Knicks for Kyrie Irving, who were basically you know the number one team, even after he was sort of uh, leaving Cleveland uh, a, a season ago. You know, the, the Nets weren't even in the conversation, but they've put themselves firmly in the, in the front, one of their seats uh, to sort of uh, land his services. Yeah, it's, it's honestly crazy to go from getting rumors about getting bad players to getting really good players. Some of the best in the league is Sean Marks, like we've talked about, and we've kind of like worshipped him on this show. He's done an amazing job. But anything else you want to touch on, Jack, before we get out of here? No, nah, mate. We've, uh, we'd, probably next week we'll do some, uh, some fun topics, and I'll, I'll go back to my uh, social media sleuthing. Yeah, some sleuthing. Um, but uh, that wraps it up for today. As always, check us out on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, odgbasketball.com, and uh, Dash Radio, and YouTube as well. As always, like I said, retweet, share, uh, hit us up on Twitter at OTG Nick and JMANJBT. You know, let us know what you think, debate with us. We want to hear your thoughts on the Nets. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.